Welcome to the Impact Masters Commission Bible Study Podcast. Join us as we study the Bible verse by verse. I'm your host, Pastor Josh Hawkins. We're going to have some deep, thoughtful, and hopefully helpful discussions to try and discover together what it means to be the followers of Jesus. Okay, so I don't know what, I don't know where the British accent came from. I, I have I tell people all the time that I have what I like to refer to as random accent disorder um, because I do just I just go off into. There's too many rads though. There's too many rads. There's a lot of rads. There's like three or four real diseases that are referred to as rad. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know what all of them are, but I've run. I keep running into a new rad like every year. I'm like, there's another rad. Hmm. R A D. Just I'm just you know it's it's three words that start with R A and D and people. You know. I'm so confused. Because you said random accent disorder. Yes. Oh. Random accent disorder. Somebody over here said rad. I heard it. And I was like, yeah, there's a bunch of those. Well, there's that too. There's that too. There's that too. What was I watching? I was watching. You know, I'm I'm a big fan of those shows on TV where like you have uh, people that are good at something. Like, uh, you ever seen Blown Away on Netflix? Um, it is. They're they're glass blowers, and they and they're in a competition with each other about who's going to create the best. Glass art's really cool, actually. I didn't. There's a lot of stuff. It's like, well, I didn't know you could do that with glass. Anyway, I like that kind of show, like Forged in Fire. Anybody watch Forged in Fire? One of my all-time favorite shows. Immediately made me go out and look and see, like, is there a place that I could go learn how to do forging? Well, which there isn't, like, anywhere near us. Like, the nearest place is like four hours away. I was so bummed. Actually, I'm forged at my house in Missouri. You do? I really want to learn how to do that. My favorite show is Ink Masters. Tattoos is so good. Yeah, those kind of shows are always, you know, not America's Next Top Model or anything like that. No, I, I can't do that. Can't do that. Can't do that. Or what was the 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 one about the drag queens? No, no, RuPaul something. Well. It's hosted by RuPaul, who is the really tall uh, drag queen. Um, yeah, that's kind of famous. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Not important. Has nothing to do with the Bible whatsoever. I mean, <laughs> I really, really tried. I probably could, but I don't want to. Um, but. <laughs> I'm not a fan of the of total depravity. So, um, what the heck is uh, it's 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 <laughs> a theological term has to, from Calvin, which means that humans are not capable of doing good at all in any way, 
shape, or form that everything we do is completely and totally corrupt and sinful. What was that word? Total depravity. It's the T in the five points of Calvinism, tulip. Total depravity. Unconditional election, limited atonement. And I wandered through the Garden of Calvinism for multiple years in my theological journey, but I have moved on beyond uh, Johnny C. And uh, that's what I call him, Johnny C. He was truly a brilliant man. There's no question about that. But I have some real issues with some of his ideas. Um, and uh, no, that's fine. I was, you know, I, I, I count it an honor to have read his stuff and people that followed him because they were very brilliant and they loved scripture and they loved Jesus. But some of the stuff I'm like, man, that I don't, I don't understand how you were able to just hang on to that. But anyway, all right. So today we're going to be teaching on First Timothy chapter two, and we have two rather large topics to discuss. If indeed we get to them both. Are you with me? All right, let's pray and, uh, and invite or turn our attention to the presence of the Holy Spirit. Precious Holy Spirit, we know that you are here. Indeed, you dwell within each of us and within us as a corporate body. And I'm grateful for your presence. I ask for your activity. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open up this book, which you inspired, that you would teach us, uncover the deep mysteries of the gospel, of the atonement, the glory of the cross of Christ. Lord, I don't want to teach anything that isn't leading us to love. That's, I want to stand in alignment with Paul on that one. So keep me on track. And empower these words in this time to go deeper than human words can go. To do more than human wisdom can accomplish. I pray for revelation, not just information. In Jesus' name, amen. See, there's this wonderful gift that we, as followers of Jesus, and that we, as teachers of the word, we've been given the word of God to teach. And the word of God has power resident within it as we teach under the uh, in the power of the holy spirit these words can go out and they can accomplish more than my meager ability to express the word of god is living the bible tells us active sharper than a two-edged sword 
cuts down to the marrow of the issue, d- divides the soul and the spirit. This is, this is what the word of God is capable of doing. And Jesus, you know, it's, it's, it's not just a simple, this isn't just a regular topic of discussion. We have a person at work in the midst of our conversation today. And so I want, I'm always just listening for him, trying to pay attention. We, you know, when, when you're in a conversation with people, you watch much more than just what comes out of their mouth, right? Which, by the way, is why you should uh, have deep conversations face-to-face rather than via text message or even a phone call. I know you're like, what's a phone call? Anyway, um, uh, that, that's just my experience of your generation is that they don't call people ever. They know what phone calls are, but they don't ever do it. They never make phone calls. That is my experience of your generation. You, you will text, but phone calls, FaceTime is better, but not really. Yeah. So I, I, I do think it's better, but I also think it's not better because there's more. There's more. Because the way that I hold my body, okay? You can see part of that, but you can't. And you're picking up more than you're cognizant of, of picking up. You, you're, you're receiving more. Besides, the, what I have experienced when, when it comes to video calls is that people don't talk to the phone as if they were talking to me. Does that make sense? Like when when I've been on video calls with people, they aren't like looking right at me, talking to me, da 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 da. They're like, and they're talking, and they're kind of everywhere. They're not like engaged. Exactly. That's why I had to take my, I'm like get my picture off of there because I get I get distracted. Yeah, I get distracted by my picture on there. Not that I'm a vain person. At least I hope I'm not. But 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 it's like. I do. I get distracted by my own facial expressions, etc. So that I find it, and when I when I have video calls with my kids, I know they're looking at themselves because my thirteen-year-old Ian will be like, "I'm like, hey, I'm talking to you. Look at me, not your stupid picture." Anyway, yeah, that's what happens. Um, so, First Timothy chapter two. Let's read a bit. First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be offered for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, so that we may lead tranquil and quiet lives in all godliness and dignity. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Take that, Calvin. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. The testimony that was given at just the right time. We'll stop there. All right. What verse did I go through? I read all the way through, what? What, what was that? Six? Yeah, okay, verse six. So, okay, so he says, first of all, now remember this is, Paul is writing this letter to encourage Timothy to do what he sent Timothy there to do. He's also writing this letter to empower Timothy to do what he was called to do and to kind of give the church in Ephesus, that's where Timothy is, to uh, some, some 
some understanding of why Timothy's there and what Timothy should be about, right? So Paul has talked in, in chapter one, he talked about that and he said, hey, I put you there to keep them teaching the right stuff. We don't want false teachers leading people off in these random directions, etc. of things. And he said, here's the end of our charge. What we're after, what we're looking for is love. Love that proceeds from a pure heart, from a clear conscience, etc. All right, this is what we're after, okay? And then he says, so first of all, all right, so we're kind of back to that. Now, this is something you got to understand about Paul, and it might be a good idea. I do this in my Bible when I actually use a physical Bible, which is rarely, but uh, Paul will say something, launch off into another train of thought, and then return to the train of thought that he began three verses before. He does that quite often. In fact, sometimes it's a whole chapter that he spends on a rabbit trail, which is always great stuff. But, but that if you don't connect those, those two sections back to each other, take that rabbit trail out, say that was good, but it's not a part of the rest of this conversation. Uh, uh, and, and you reconnect those things. So when he says, first of all, whenever you see connecting phrases like that, like first of all, or therefore, or for this reason, Pay attention. Okay, you, wouldn't just, you wouldn't say that out of nowhere. That's a part of a conversation that you're having. So Paul is pointing back to something. What is he pointing back to? In this case, he's pointing back to the end of our charge is love. That's where he's pointing back to. So first of all, in order to pursue our charge, which is love, what do we do? First of all, of foremost importance. That's what first of all means. It doesn't mean a... That's not what's going on here. He's not starting a list. Okay? He's saying, of first importance is this. So let's begin here because this is, this is of first importance. It has primacy in this conversation. I urge that petitions, prayer, intercession, and thanksgiving be offered for everyone. For kings and those in authority, so that we may lead tranquil and quiet lives in all godliness and dignity. Okay, so of foremost importance is this. P- petitions, prayers, and intercessions. I think these are uh, uh, intercessions and thanksgiving. There's four. I think this is a really interesting thing, so we're going to look a little more deeply into that. A petition, the Greek word translated as petition, I think I'm using the ESV, um, uh, is an urgent request arising from a felt need. Right? So there's a problem, and I'm going to take this problem to the Lord. That's a petition. That's pretty simple, right? Prayers, there's no, uh, there's no, and nothing deeper than that. It's just prayer. It's just, that's what it is. So urgent requests arriving, deriving from felt needs, prayers, intercessions. I find this one, this one's fascinating because this is a weird word and it, uh, it's not used a lot. Okay, so intercessions are asking the Lord to reveal his will to us and how we should be involved in his will. So if I'm praying for you, all right, and I begin to say, Lord, I pray, I'm going to pray some pretty generic stuff, right? Blessing, protection, guidance, etc. But at some point, I need to look to the Lord and say, uh, what what do you want for them? Lord, give me some guidance in how I can pray for them. Does that make sense? 
a lot of times I use, <laughs> this might be terrible, but a lot of times I use the, the, the uh, generic stuff as space uh, to, to verbal space so that while I'm saying that, I can be listening to what the Holy Spirit is saying, is telling me I should be praying for you. Does that make sense? Uh, that's, part, that's for a couple reasons. One, that's just the expectation in Pentecostal circles that prayer sounds like this. Mighty God, ha, I pray the Bible. Right? Are you with me? Okay, I'm, I grew up a Pentecostal. I get to make fun of us. Okay? Um, uh, and I'm still a Pentecostal, by the way. That's not a garden I've left behind. I love that. I'm never going to leave it behind. But, okay, it tends to be loud. I, I used to go on this prayer retreat with... Uh, uh, about 40 pastors from the Fort Wayne area. And there was four or five of us that were Pentecostals, but the rest of the group were from multiple different, you know, we had, uh, we had Lutheran guys, we had uh, Mennonite guys, we had Catholic guys, we had Baptist guys, we had whatever. So we had to keep the tongues on the down low, you know what I mean? You got to do that under your breath tongues thing, right? Because it would just make everybody uncomfortable. Um, although one time I went with this much older uh, saint, uh, the guy who was my dad's mentor, my dad's, uh, the guy that hired my dad to work here. And he had this deep voice and he would just sit there in these prayer meetings and just speak in tongues like, and I would just be like, oh, that's amazing. I love it. Oh, because the whole room was like, you know what? He's like 85. And so we're just going to let him do what he wants to. But anyway, I was shocked by the, the, how much time they spend in silence in prayer. So we would all pray together in a big circle. And I was shocked by how comfortable they all were with not saying anything. Then I went to another prayer retreat, which was supposed to be the same thing, of all Assembly of God pastors. And there wasn't, you couldn't get a word in edgewise. It was loud the whole time. And when we started to get quiet, Brother Don Gifford would be like, raise your voices, raise your voices. And I was like, no, don't, because I loved the silence thing, man. That was great. I was just, it, oh, man, the Lord was speaking so deeply to me. And here I am in this group of guys that are like, rah, rah, at the top of their lungs. And I'm like, I'm done. I've never gone back to the Assembly of God one. They do it every year and I never go because I can't stand it. I'm just like, shut up. That's what I wanted, that's what I wanted to do. I'm not saying that to Don Gifford. I'm saying it to everyone. <laughs> you know, I love Pastor Don. So, But, but those, those, those prayer retreats are not for me. Um, so when I begin to pray for someone, a lot of times... Being being a Pentecostal still, uh, silence is rather unnerving. Really what I should do is say, let's wait on the Lord and see what he wants to say. And then shut up. Take a few deep breaths. Wait on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And then we can begin to pray as, we, as in conversation with God. Because that's what this is. Right? This is a conversation with a person. 
I'm not listening to him, then I'm making a mistake. Does that make sense? Now, since then, I have begun to pray prayer, a prayer liturgy, which maybe we'll talk more about later in the year. Who knows? Who knows? But these are prayers that were written by other people centuries ago that the church has been praying and seen as, as helpful for hundreds of years. And I begin to pray those prayers. The way that my liturgy is built. What's going on over there? Oh, nothing. Oh, there's just a bug in your ceiling. Oh, okay. I was worried that someone was like breaking through, you know. <laughs> Am I going to have to heal a paralytic? That's <laughs> uh, <clears throat> um, what happened to Jesus, right? Somebody just dug through the roof and dropped the guy down. and I, You never know. Okay. Um. <laughs> you laugh, but it's going to happen to you someday. You just wait. That would be really cool, wouldn't it? That really would. <laughs> It'd also be really scary. Like, oh, Jesus, you better show up because. <laughs> uh, anyway. Right. Have you ever gotten a word of knowledge in a group and been like, I feel like the Lord wants to heal a knee, somebody's knee, and then somebody comes up and they're like, that's me. And you're like, well, Lord, you better show up. <laughs> <laughs> I was just kind of hoping you would get healed out there. <laughs> Nobody needs to know. Uh, that's happened to me many times. Okay, so <laughs> thankfully... The Lord has never let me down. When he's given me a word of knowledge that he's going to do something, he usually does it. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. But I am I sweat that whole time. Oh, Jesus, please, Lord. Okay, move your knee. And, and they're like, wow, it's better. I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I went to a conference one time where a guy was like, I'm trying out this word of knowledge thing. So we're going to give this a try. Is there a Chuck in the audience? No one raised their hand. He's like, Charles? Dang it. Okay, um, what about... <laughs> he did four different ones. None of them. Nobody. He's like, oh, well, I need some more faith for that, I guess. And we just moved on. I was like, you know, good for you, dude. Right? <laughs> I mean, at least he's owned it. He's like, yeah, that didn't work. Okay. <laughs> Never mind. But I've seen the word of knowledge thing get scary. Like I went to California one time and this lady called out the address of my church, the date I became the pastor. Uh, like there was 12 different, very specific facts that she named. My wife's name, my daughter's name. Um, it was creepy. It was so like, what? She goes, uh, so I think it's an address, 601 North Coldwater Street. It's, you can see it on YouTube if you're interested. And, and, I, and she goes, does that mean anything to anybody? And I was like, <laughs> stood up and said, that's the address of my church. And she's like, okay. I was way at the back. We were at Bethel. And I, and, and, and I, and I stood up and I'm like, that's, that's, she goes, what is, uh, and she, I forget what the, uh, <laughs> September 1st, 
not September, April 1st, 2016. What does that mean? And I was like, that's the day I became the pastor of that church. She's like, great. Uh, so is Rachel your wife or your daughter? And I was like, what? <laughs> Rachel's my wife. And then she goes, so Lily's your daughter. I just was like, shut up. Anyway, she spoke a powerful prophetic word over it. So it was cool. Uh, what was I saying? Okay, intercession. <laughs> so intercession is where we wait on the Lord. We receive direction from the Lord about how we should pray or act in relationship to this person. And then we move. Okay. At least this word that we translate intercession. It could be translated a, a number of different ways probably. But this word that in, in this translation we're translating intercession. Does that mean that that's what intercession is? No, no. Not necessarily. There's other words that we also translate intercession. But in prayer, let us wait upon the Lord. Let us hear what he has to say. And let us have that conversation with him. That's important. And then finally, thanksgiving. Um, how often do we thank God for the people we're praying for? Especially when he goes on to say, for kings and all those in authority. Ah, oh, shut up, Paul. Now you're stepping on toes, man. I didn't vote for that guy. I'm supposed to thank God for President Biden when he's a lizard man that drinks the blood of children? <laughs> I'm not saying that he is, but there are people that say that he is. Okay, um, you never heard about the reptilians and the and the worship of Satan and the things that like yeah. pizza That's crazy. I heard yeah. Justin Bieber and that. Donald Trump was one. Still is when they started they would get babies or something. Okay. I don't know. It's not true. Okay. It's not true. It's all conspiracy garbage. That's what they want. Don't waste your time on it. The next the next thing the next thing you're gonna say to me is that the earth is flat. It's literally the next thing that you're gonna say. But uh, I promise I'm not a reptilian. I eat mice regularly, but I'm not. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, Paul says we should pray like this for everyone, and then he makes it specific to kings and all those who are in authority. How often do you know? Do you know who the names of the men and women who are in places of authority over the place where you live? What's the name of the mayor of Fort Wayne? I don't know. I know my mayor. And my are you Christians? You ought to know. I don't know his name. I don't live here. Tom Henry. Yeah, Austin needs to know. I'm from here. It is Tom Henry. Correct. That's correct. That is his name. He's been mayor for quite a while. Um, yeah, you should know. You should know the name of the people who are in charge of the place where you live, and you should pray for them on a regular basis. Pray for the president, pray for the vice president, whether you voted for them or not. Even if thinking about them makes you angry, you're supposed to thank God for them. Okay, who's your governor? Very good. Right. Who's your congressperson? Oh, me. I know the ones in Michigan. Because um, <laughs> those are the ones I voted for. Right, sure. Yeah. 
There are you can do a quick Google search for that, which is usually what I do when I'm going to go pray for, for. Uh, Congressman. Yes. Jim Banks is one. I get his emails, and they usually make me want to hurt him. Jim Banks. Lord Jesus, help us. Tom Germany. Tom who? Germany. I don't know. That's our mayor. He comes into, well, I work at Culver's back home. He comes in every day and gets a medium lemonade. Very cool. That's the only reason I know who he is. I didn't know his name, but I knew he was our mayor. But you should be praying for him. When's the last time you prayed for these people? You obviously you don't know their names, so it doesn't happen often, but Paul says we should. Obviously, we don't have a king, but we have people in authority over us. And we should be praying for them. We should be thanking God for them. We should be asking the Lord, how should we pray for them? Now, you guys know that I was no fan at all. Well, the second years know that I was no fan at all of, the, of President Donald J. Trump. I'm not a fan. Um, uh, I, I regularly was quite, but the Lord called me into a place of intercession over him on a regular basis. And so I prayed for him often, which led me out of some of my anger and into more compassion towards him and towards the pressures mounting against this man who was probably the maybe the most maligned president in the last 50 years although George W Bush comes close yeah, what does that mean? maligned, maligned. Uh, that that people said bad things about him now, whether i er- whether he earned it or not does not matter it would still be difficult to be in his shoes um, and I do think he, I think he enjoyed making people angry at him. I think that was part of his, that's why he got elected, really. Part of yeah. I'm, I'm grateful that he's still banned from Twitter. <laughs> Gotta be honest. His tweets were the worst part about his presidency. Oh. No, uh, no. Oh, anyway, let's keep moving. Uh, the relevance is that I had to pray for him. I had to thank God for him. I had to lift him up. That was the relevance, and I didn't want to. I was being confronted with my own lack of love for this man every time I prayed for him. And Jesus says, pray for your enemies. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This right here, my friends, is the best test of how much you're being formed into the image of Christ. You know, we, we know we've gotten somewhere when we can, without trying too hard, actually love our enemies. Okay. That's, that's how we know that, remember the end of our charge is love? The way we know, if, the, if that's really at work in us in a powerful way, is can we actually love our enemies? And Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you. These aren't people that just don't agree with you. These are people who are actively working against you. 
and Jesus called us to love them and pray for them. By the way, that means we shouldn't kill them. Hmm? When President Biden, a few months ago, got up and talked about, because we were attacked by Afghanistan, and he got up, and he made a speech. We will not forget. We will not forgive. We will come after you. I had a... I'm, I was infuriated. You want to know why? Because he says that he's a Christian, which is the biggest problem I had with President Trump as well, that he said that he was a Christian, but then made no effort to live like one. Same thing, you know, but then President Biden gets up and he says these kind of things. Yes, these people want to kill us, but Jesus told us we have to love them. What are you going to do with that? We don't get to say that's it. They pull out our big guns and try and go and try. We don't get to do that. We don't get to respond the way the flesh wants us to respond, the way the world expects us to respond, which is in hatred and anger against people who are against us. Jesus has called us to do something else. Jesus has called us to serve them. Paul says you should pray for them. You should be grateful for them. You should ask the Holy Spirit how you should pray for them so that we may lead tranquil and quiet lives in all godliness and dignity. When's the last time you heard a sermon which told you to get out there and live tranquil and quiet lives in godliness and dignity? That's because we're Americans. Tranquility... And quietness are against our religion. We don't know how to be quiet. We don't know how to be tranquil. And we wouldn't, we wouldn't in any way think that that would be admirable or something we should pursue. But it is something Paul thought we should pursue. And Paul goes even further. Paul says, This is good and pleasing in the sight of God who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. In other words... Prayer and a tranquil and quiet life are one of the ways that Paul sees the church bringing people to salvation. How many times in youth group were you told to live out loud? Right? Paul says, hey, what we're looking for is tranquility, quietness, godliness, dignity. That's, that's, that's what we're pursuing. Uh, by the way, that's how the world's going to be saved, is when the church learns to live as a people of prayer who walk out their lives with tranquility in quietness, in godliness, and in dignity. How many times have big mouth Christians got the church in trouble? Think about it. 
I, I'm, I'm advocating that the church rediscover tranquility, quietness, godliness, and dignity. I'm, I'm advocating that the church becomes something different. We live in a culture that is extremely loud, demonstrative, hey, look at me. That's the culture we live in. So when a church comes in and acts just like that, are we going to be noticed? I think that we should look to be countercultural in this. That we should look to be peaceful. That's what tranquil means, by the way. Peaceful. Quiet. That my, you know what? My voice doesn't have to be heard. I don't need to be seen by you. I'm seen by Christ. I don't need to be seen by you. That I have dignity about myself. That, that doesn't, that's not derived from your attention towards me. My dignity comes from the reality that I have been, that my value has been validated by the love of God for me. Does all that make sense? So you think that there's a, a problem when the church builds its whole way of being in the world around being noticed, around making noise, around having big splashy events, etc., etc. I do. I think we're just one more gong, one more clanging cymbal in a world full of gongs and clanging cymbals. I would love to see us have no need of the flash or the show, have no need of the noise. One of my favorite pastors is a man named Brian Zond. He says, the task of the church is not to change the world directly, but to be the world as changed by Christ. I'm going to read that again. Task of the church is not to change the world directly, but to be the world as changed by Christ. In this way, the church is the light of the world and a city set upon a hill. Are you raising your hand or are you just resting your hand at a different position? What do you think about that? Thoughts, ideas. The task of the church is not to change the world directly, but to be the world as changed by Christ. I let the Holy Spirit transform me into the image of Christ. And everything else that happens just flows out of that as fruit. 
If I'm reflecting Christ, the people I encounter are going to be changed. If I'm living in the world as a carrier of the presence of God, I don't have to shout about it. And if you notice, this was Jesus' way in the world. Have you ever noticed how quiet Jesus was? And how many times Jesus was like, Shh, don't tell anybody. Jesus didn't come to the powerful. He didn't, he didn't, he wasn't the, the son of the virgin daughter of Caesar. He could have done that. He didn't come to the places of power and influence and insert himself there because that's how he was going to change the world. No, Jesus stepped into the world in a different way. Jesus stepped into the world from the bottom up. He came into the world as light and in darkness there is nothing you can do but show up. But he regularly fought against the quote-unquote popularity of his ministry. In fact, at his most popular, Jesus turns around and says to the crowd, this is right after he's fed the 5,000, he turns around and he says to the crowd, by the way, if you're going to follow me, you're going to be killed and tortured. Might as well just go pick up a cross because that's where I'm headed. And a bunch of people, in fact, he went even further and he said something that he knew would offend them. He said, oh, and by the way, if you're going to follow me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Otherwise, you have no part in me. And everybody was like, gross. And they all just walked, walked off because there was such a taboo in the Jewish society against cannibalism, against even drinking the blood of animals. And here's Jesus a Jewish rabbi is saying, hey, by the way, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Jesus did that purposefully to drive the crowds away. That was his idea. When's the last time you heard a pastor do that? By the way, everyone, and just say something so <laughs> confrontational. As a pastor, I feel like, like, like man, that that's that is not something I would do, but maybe I should just get up on a Sunday. And, although I regularly say things that make people mad, but just what I said to you a minute ago about loving your enemies. Honestly, I have never gotten in more fights in my life than when I say that on social media. Now, just if you just say love your enemies, people are going to be like. Thanks for the reminder, amen, whatever. But if you point at an enemy and say we're supposed to love that person, if I point at Osama bin Laden back in the day and I'm like, hey, guess what? You need to love this guy. The whole world would come out and tell me, how dare I? Want to know why? Because America is an idol and a lot of us worship it. I'm still sitting on a sermon series that I, I know I'm supposed to preach, but I'm not sure when. It's about the idols of our generation. Things like nation. Things like family. Things like money. Sex. Rights. church 
But I'm not going to do that until I'm ready to get fired. So anyway. (laughs) Verse 5. I already read this, but let's read it again. For there is one God. There is one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony that was given at just the right time. How are we doing on time? (laughs) All right. We're going to talk about the atonement. You ready? Have some fun. Okay. One God. How many of you know the Apostles' Creed? All of you should. All of you should. Go for it. The Apostles' Creed, not the Nicene Creed. That one's harder. We learned all four. Just, just do the Apostles' Creed for me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of Heaven and Earth. Creator, no. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Maker of Heaven and Earth. Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Maker of Heaven and Earth, and Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He he rose again to you missed one. He descended to the dead. He descended into hell. <laughs> On the third day, he rose again according to the scriptures. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life of the world to come. Amen. The only other phrase you missed was that he, and, uh, he will return to judge the living and the dead. Yeah, you missed that phrase. But other than that, you're doing good. No, that's good. That's good. The Apostles' Creed, one of the oldest confessions in the Christian church, goes back to at least 300 years after Christ, but most scholars would say it goes back even further than that to somewhere around 100 or 150 years after Jesus' death, or uh, Jesus' birth, after Jesus' birth. Um, and uh, and uh, many churches all over the world quote it, Every single Sunday. It's called Confessing Our Faith. I am toying with the idea of starting to do that. I'm very slowly bringing some liturgy back into my Pentecostal church. Um, And I wanted to do it much more quickly, but the first thing I did was I brought communion back, where communion, we celebrate communion every week. Uh, that was the habit of the early church. They celebrated communion every time they met uh, on Sundays. Yeah. Why don't more like why doesn't like great question? Don't know. Does say like every time believers got together they broke bread. Yep. So I'm like I don't really. That's one thing I've always just been curious about. Like why the first Sunday of every month do we take communion? Like I just. Like budget cuts or something. <laughs> <laughs> it it does really get expensive. To, I'll tell you, it I, does. I really do like love to. I would totally enjoy taking communion every week or like whatever week. I just don't understand like where that. You, a lot of denominations do that. It's not like yes. just AG. Like a most. lot of churches, most only do communion once a month or whatever. See, so here's the issue. Okay. The denomination to which we belong. Is, a, is an evangelical denomination. Evangelical denominations believe that the most important thing that happens on Sunday is what? Tell me. You know. What's the most important thing that happens in the Sunday service? I don't know. Worship. People show up. <laughs> <laughs> Prayer, 
Teaching. Teaching. She said tithing. Well, there's a lot of pastors who believe that. In fact, that I had a you know I've had so many AG pastors tell me if you aren't if you aren't taking an offering, it's not church. And I'm like, yeah, dude. Okay, well, man. I know that person somebody does like a like a welcome to salvation little prayer every single week. Yes. Which we talked about that last year. They month. would say. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to uh, you just wanted to stir up trouble again, Sorry. aren't you? Um, <laughs> Pretty much. I almost Back never. I almost never do those. Um, <laughs> the evangelical church. The most important thing is the is the sermon. Sermon is the center of Sunday morning, but that is really new. That's like a hundred years old. Okay. The church is 2,000 years old. A sermon-centric Sunday is roughly 100 years old, or maybe 150, depending on when. Okay? Back, and, there's, and, and that's only true of one part of the church. Most of the church in the world, the most important thing that happens on Sunday is communion. Yeah. Most of the world, that's the only reason people go to church, is to receive communion. Now, some of that lives in incorrect understandings of communion. Like in the Catholic Church, they literally believe your, your sins are forgiven as you receive the sacrament. Communion. And, and if you don't receive, that's why priests have to rush to the bedside of dying people to administer you know, communion and last rites because you, know, you might have got some sins in since the last time you had communion and now you have to make sure your sins are all gone. Now, if you talk to a priest, they would say that that's not that that's a very unnuanced way of talking about something that's much more complex than that, but that's still how most Catholic people believe. Okay? Even if the priests would say that's not true, that that's not what's really happening, that's still how they, most of them believe. And we do not stand with that. We don't agree with that. There's, there's not good scriptural evidence to believe that that's, what's going, that that's how it all works. Okay? That also points in the wrong direction because Christianity is not just about where you go when you die. That's a, it's important, yeah. but that is, that is the wrong finish line. It's the wrong finish line. Being transformed into the image of Christ is our finish line. Love is the end of our charge, y'all. That's the thing. In this life and in the next. If you're being transformed into the image of Christ, when you die, you will continue to be transformed into the image of Christ Forever and ever and ever and ever. That is what's going to take place. This is, this is what we've been called into. Okay? If you have refused to submit to the Holy Spirit and repent of the ways of this world, then you will not be you then you will enter into death in a completely broken and degenerative state, and you will continue to degenerate forever and ever and ever. Therefore, you will that we call that degenerative state hell. What's that? Which is the, the word hell is translated. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The same way. Yeah, yeah. Four yeah. different words. <laughs> yeah. We, we, could, we could have a nice long talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, we should stop Wait. Uh, I'm ready. Whenever you're ready. <laughs> I would love to talk. We could talk through hell at some point. That'd be great. 
Yeah, go ahead. Can I ask a follow-up question about communion? Yeah. Go ahead. Like, are only pastors supposed to lead people? Oh, oh, great question. Let's say I'm leading people one day, and I'm like, you know, I really would like to take communion with the team today. What's the difference between you and me? Your credentials? Yeah. Do you think that's really a difference for God? No, No. I don't. I guess I'm just asking, like, the official stance. (laughs) Like, it's the same with baptism. Can I baptize? Absolutely, you can. Absolutely, you can. Yeah, my dad baptized me too, but I just mean, like, like at first assembly, if a parent or somebody wants to be in the baptism pool, they can be, but a credentialed pastor has to be present for the dipping. Yes, but that's really because they're the ones that are going to sign the baptismal certificate. Um, Yes, but that... Um, we have no reason, none, scripturally, to to say that certain people are allowed to to serve communion and serve pe- yeah, certain people aren't. Kind of that's all tradition, and we don't even, you know, that's and uh, none, zero, no, no scriptural reason for that. But there are people who think that. Of course. Like that only Again, in the Catholic Church, it is only an ordained priest who can perform the miracle of the sacrament, which transforms this bread and this cup into the actual blood and body of Christ within your body once you receive it. Okay, which is why if there's leftover bread, they actually bury it because it's Jesus' body. Well, and like I went to a Catholic ceremony for my cousin's like baby baptism or something, and it literally said in their bulletin, like on the back, it was like if you don't belong to the Catholic Church, we ask that you not take communion. Yes, absolutely. I was like, what in the world? I just yeah. If you've not been all my life, and not allowed to drink. I mean, no, you're not. That's really so wacky. That's so weird. We don't do that. In fact, myself, I give, an, I, give, I, I give a communion call, which I did when you were with us uh, at the beginning. This is not the table of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who would like to love him more. So come, you who are whatever, now name off all these, you have tried to follow and you who have failed. You have been here a little bit or you who have been here long come because it is the Lord who invites you. To this table, to this place. So I have essentially replaced the altar call with communion. Because yeah. the altar call doesn't exist in the first century. But that's, I'm, I know I'm preaching heresy. Communion sure does. And where do you want to go? Where, where are you coming? When you're going to give your life to Christ, where are you going? You're going to the cross. And what does communion do? It proclaims the Lord's death until he comes. So where am I calling you? I'm calling you to the table. The table where we are joined with Christ and with one another. The table where the new covenant is repeated, called forth again. Where we sign up once again to be a part of the body of Christ and and a part of the new covenant which Christ has mediated. And that brings us right back to where we were. Okay, so one God... This is the reason I, reason I said, you know, one God is because I believe in God, the Father, creator of heaven and earth. If someone asks you, how many gods do you believe in? You say one. One. <laughs> right? One. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but one. One God and one mediator 
The man, Christ Jesus. Why does he say the man? That's exactly why. And Paul does not want us to forget. And here's the reality. God, uh, it took a man to mediate the new covenant. Required a man, a priest. The high priest in the order of Melchizedek. I would love to take you through Hebrews. Maybe we'll do that next if we get through 1 Timothy. Where we see Jesus more fully fleshed out as the high priest of the new covenant than we do in any other place in the New Testament. Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Yeah? And I love it so much. The truth is, Pentecostals get more of their atonement theory from Hebrews than any other book in the New Testament. What does atonement mean again? We'll talk about that in a sec. Oh, okay, sorry. I'm, I just didn't I, know if I missed it or not. No, you didn't. And we only have like 10 minutes left, which is not nearly enough time to start talking about something as massive as the atonement. Okay? But I will give you, an, I will give you as a preview for next time. Okay? Atonement is the way we describe what Jesus accomplished on the cross. It's an old English word, which is actually a conjunction of three words, at one meant. Okay? Atonement. It's actually a phrase that we've made into a word. Yes? Technically, the at one meant is something that was coined by Richard Rohr. Oh, no, it goes way before that. Well, because meant isn't... No. But it means to me as one. Yeah. I'm just breaking it up so it's okay. hearable. Okay. I've heard of some people say that like it like the definition is at one meant making us at it Richard Rohr uses it a lot and it's horrible. <laughs> he he he's a penentheist, so you can see that we're oh. not I don't know no, if I agree with that or not. That's a big word. Have you read yeah. Richard Rohr? Uh, no, but... Because I, I have. I have. To some and, and, and he's done. And he's mentioned how he believes that penentheism is the proper way to... I, I definitely cannot stand by everything Richard Rohr has to say. But I appreciate his mind. I didn't get this from Richard Rohr, though. I got this from 12 other people. The original Old English word that is translating a Greek word, we can never forget that, that we have chosen English words to represent Greek words. And what we're really interested in is in the meaning of that Greek word. And the word atonement gets used for multiple Greek words. But the idea is this. This is the place where God and man come together. This is the place where God and man meet. Face to face. Eye to eye. On the cross, Jesus as the human. And as fully God. Began a new covenant. And the cross, on the cross, many, many things were accomplished. Many things were accomplished all at once by what Jesus did on the cross. One of them is listed here. He gave himself as a ransom for all. 
I want to talk about that word ransom. Because once again, it's a Greek word which is being translated into English. When you think ransom, what do you think? Reward. Reward. Like yeah, because someone a reward for someone. A ransom is like Give me a million dollars or I'm never giving your kid back. Yes. <laughs> like what's happening in Haiti right now with those missionaries? Yes. I capture someone and I say, unless you pay a ransom, I won't give them back. Right? Yeah. That word does not at all represent what the Greek word represents in the original language. Just not even close. The, the word we're looking at is a, ready for another big word? Mm-hmm. No. <clears throat> Manumission. Manumission? It is the price we pay to buy a slave back from a slave master. I am paying for the emancipation. Know that word? Emancipation proclamation. Correct. I am paying for the emancipation of someone. And even that, remember, whenever we're describing anything, especially the cross, we can only kind of point, I'll use N.T. Wright's language, it's a, it's a, it is a, it is a signpo- signpost pointing into a fog, okay? There is something going on here which is beyond human comprehension. We have some ideas about what it's not, we don't, and we have some ideas about what it is, but we cannot get... We can't drill down too far before we reach this is bigger than what I'm capable of comprehending. If we don't have a God that's bigger than what I'm capable of comprehending, then we don't have a God. On the cross, though we have some great pictures for what happened on the cross, We cannot claim to ever fully understand it. It's a mystery. Even angels long to look into these things, Paul says. There is is this, this shocking mystery at the center of your salvation that all of heaven is looking into it going, ah, which is just an endless fascination for what Jesus accomplished on the cross. One of the things he did was, you were a slave to sin. Right? And Jesus ended your slavery. That's the way he was a ransom. Now, there's a whole lot deeper that we need to go on that. Much, 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 much deeper. Okay? And we don't have time for it because we only have five more minutes. So we will go into it next time. We didn't even get to women in ministry. That's upsetting to me. I really wanted to have that conversation. Oh, yes. I've spent a lot of time going deep on women in ministry in the last few days to make sure I had it solid. All right. Anybody have any questions, thoughts? We have five more minutes. Can we talk about the Netflix? <laughs> Go watch the video series, What We Cannot See. Yes, it's out there on my YouTube channel. And... Uh, Man, there's so much in the Bible about this stuff. I mean, just so much. And we don't know it. We just don't until we really start looking. So much. 
Nephilim pop up everywhere. And it's like. I just have a question. Just one question. So technically, in Greek mythology, they talk about like these people who can do like really like inhuman things. Is that would that be like the Nephilim? Yeah. That makes sense. Anytime, but see, here's the thing, and this is what Hebrew this is what Hebrew literature was doing. Hebrew literature was pointing at stories like Hercules and Jason, and okay, was pointing at stories like that which existed in every culture across the world where gods and humans interbred and their offspring became leaders of society. And many times the kings of their, of their world, like the pharaohs in Egypt, told, told everyone that they were descendants of Ra, right? That they were the offspring of the gods. This was their claim to power. And not only that, they thought it was a great thing. The gods bred with humans and created these beings who then began society. In, in uh, the uh, Babylonian world, they were called Abkalu. Okay? They, were, they were these beings who bred, uh, that, who were, who were the, the offspring of, of man and, and a heavenly being. And they were wise and they were powerful and they were intelligent and they were giving us, they're the ones that set up our society. And what Hebrew culture was doing was saying, yes, that happened, but it was not a good thing. It was a very evil, horrible thing, and it is what led to the destruction of the flood. So there, this, was, this was God's people looking at the, all these stories and not saying they didn't happen, but saying, that was not okay. This is not good. These are not, this is not how it was supposed to be. It's twisted and broken. Don't rely on it because it's from spiritual evil. And, uh, and yeah. But aren't we still doing it? Who's Thor? Oh, I love him. You love Chris Hemsworth. You're so right. <laughs> who are the mutants? Who are the Avengers? Who are these people that are more than human? Meta-human, they're even called in a couple of these things, right? They're beyond human, and they're here to protect us, and they're here to whatever. Why, are, why is this such a big deal? Why do we care so much about this? I don't care about why is it? that. Yeah, but a lot of people do. How much money do the Avengers movies make? Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man is an interesting example. Deeply flawed and broken human who has been completed... And who has been, who has been completed and empowered by what? By, his, by the genius of man? And what does he do? This is my biggest problem with Endgame. I knew this is what was, was going to happen. This is my biggest problem with Endgame. I'm always looking for the, sub, for the, the stuff that's under the surface of these kind of stories. Which is why I love Harry Potter because oh, I love there's Harry such great subtext in Harry Potter. Harry Potter is a pre- is preaching the gospel. Believe it or not, is preaching the gospel. Even though, even though I've had people leave my church because they're like, "You let somebody wear Harry Potter to the Halloween thing," and I, you know. Harry Potter tomorrow. Anyway, sorry. Continue. Beautiful subtext. Beautiful story. Gospel story. But then we. But they're okay. They're okay with Endgame. Which says, you know how we're going to save the human race? Ourselves. By becoming Thanos. The hero became Thanos. 
He said that he told us that he was right. I am inevitable. That's what he said. Isn't that what Thanos told us? Yeah, yeah. And at the end of the movie, what happens? Iron Man becomes Thanos. That's a Thanos thing. Somebody in your way? Somebody keeping you from living your best life? Just snap your fingers and get rid of them. That's what happened. Is that a Christian story? No. That is a deep, deep abiding belief in redemptive violence, which is an anti-Christian belief completely, 100%. Come on now. Okay. Okay.